Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. This time on Vet Story. Come on! Can I ask you what your name is now? My name is Mikhail Buck. Where are you from? West by God, Virginia. And I just figured maybe Kelly could bring something vocally out of me that maybe I didn't think I could do. Proud by fire led to being some of the most badass bomb hunters you could think of. No frat boys, there's no football teams, there's no nothing that creates that bomb like, like brothers that have served together. Now, I mean, we, we weren't allowed to touch a drop of alcohol over there. Um, uh, not saying we did. You know, you need to let your guys have a drink every once in a while. You need to go chase some women every once in a while. You need to remember what the hell they were fighting for. And, man, he just, he was, a, he loved writing songs, loved country music, and, and, and he, he had a guitar, too, so he's one of the guys I picked around with and ended up being just, just brothers. We didn't see it, man. He was happy-go-lucky. He was just a good guy, always smiling, and nobody saw it coming. I always said if I could get on a platform where I could speak at the 22 a day, I was going to do it. You know, it didn't show it on camera, but I, they asked me what I would say to people you know, thinking about hurting themselves. I was like, call your battle buddies, man. It, it, it can be stopped, and if, if America gave a shit about like, stuff like they should, then this would be a problem. All these American people with all this pride, all these sitting for a flag, why aren't you making donations? Why aren't you getting involved in this? That's going to hit America straight in the gut. I'd, I'd be, I'd be your coach, Thank you. Thanks so Welcome to Vet Story. I'm your host, Phil Briggs, and this time we're going to go country music style. We first saw today's guest on NBC's The Voice when on the first night of the blind auditions, he wowed all the judges with a killer Brooks and Dunn cover. And he actually had music superstars like Kelly Clarkson and Blake Shelton fighting over him. It sounded something like this. I've got my best smile on, but it's no disguise. Come on. Cause it don't have the pain in these eyes. I did her so wrong for so long. I turned my back on it, and now she's long gone. And I did my She used to be mine Oh, 
and you Kelly, did it because I did it. I'm going to coach her through this because you're going to need my help. Because <laughs> you're going to need my help. Look, I know where this is probably going. Ah. I just need to tell her one or two things. Take your time. If you think that I haven't had 15 seasons of not pressing for a country singer until the last second, your move is rookie at best. Ah. So, Listening to your voice, you're rough around the edges. And those type of artists, the Travis Tritts, the Brooks and Dunn's, don't have any of those anymore on the radio. You coming onto the voice and singing that great, sad country song, that's gonna hit America straight in the gut. I'd, I'd be proud to be your coach, dude. Thank you, thanks for that. I love that authentic side of country music. That's why I did that ballad with Jason Aldean. It sounds like 90s country, like that cool stuff we grew up on. That's the kind of country music I love. Who are you picking as your coach? Who would you pick? Kelly. 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 I'll go with Kelly. <laughs> you got me to conference him in? Yeah, go ahead. Okay, hold on one second. All right, so we've got Mikel on. Mikel, welcome to Vet Story, brother. Hey, how are you? I'm good, man. I am good. And thank you for joining us on the fastest growing national veteran podcast called Vet Story. And you know why you're here, man. It's probably not because I'm good looking. Uh, <laughs> I wasn't going to say anything, but you know. The truth is the truth. You know, it's better to speak the truth to each other. It's all good. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome, man. Well, I was pleased yeah. to see you when you came across my living room the other night. And I was like, look at that bearded SOB. Man, what's he going to do? Of course, he's yeah. going to do some country. But. Yeah. You know, you broke down the Brooks and Dunn, and man, you're on your way, and I welcome you to national television now each and every week. We get to see you as you go through the performance rounds. But uh, first question, they turned at the last second, both both Blake and Kelly. Were you, like, nervous yeah. as hell that you weren't going to get, a, you know, a bid? You know, I honestly, uh, it's all a blur. I just concentrated on the song, and I was really uh, concentrating on looking at the crowd and, and just basically doing what I do. You know, we do every, about 200 shows a year or more. And uh, so once there was a crowd there, I just kind of concentrated. I was like, at least, at least if nobody turns, at least I put on a good performance and people, you know, either way, I, I, I'll come out happy on top of it. And I, I, I didn't think they was going to turn, but they, they ended up turning the last minute. I think I might've had my back to them. I hit the last <laughs> minute kind of spun around to the band. Cause you know, when I perform, like we end a song with the band, I kind of look at the drummer, look at, you know, turn around. It's just a natural reaction when you're playing, playing music with a band that you just kind of turn around and, and, in the song together um so i just heard a commotion i, I think I, if my memory serves me correct you know how you know in intense situations stuff kind of gets blurry but i remember oh, sure. turning around and looking to them to them facing me and i was i threw my hands up in the air and i was like all right you know, yeah yeah <laughs> and i love it too i got a lot of friends that are musicians i came uh, from a rock radio background after i got out of the military i went and did morning absolutely radio yeah. so i'm real familiar with kind of how the band vibe goes and i always like watching those kind of performers on stage in these talent competitions because they bring to it a sort of professionalism they, they just kind of i mean you know i can tell you weren't like a 16 year old kid in high school that had really never done this outside of mommy and daddy's house um you know you make a living doing this and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about the mikhail buck band Dot com and some of the songs I heard on that in just a second. But uh, first question about the show, before we get into your background, is it really legit? Do you guys really not know 
where you stand when no, it, like i mean it, it's we, not pre-produced and you already know you're going through it's a blind audition i mean it really is i mean of course everybody you know plenty of time to sit around and 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 go down the rabbit hole of theories you know but um it from my experience it's 100 percent blind huh. um we don't know you know we don't know anything ahead of time i mean i don't even know when my next show airs they'll let me know you know when that airs and, and that way i can put it out there and stuff like that but it's a it's it's a hundred percent legit. Um, I, I, I don't think I'm outset my boundaries when NBC saying that, that everybody might have their doubts. It's, it's reality TV as well, but <laughs> sure, it, sure. it's, it's, it's a, it's, it's a hundred percent legit. I believe, you know, I, I think the coaches hear something in somebody and, and they think, you know, just like if you're listening to somebody, you might hear something, you know, of course, if you hear Stapleton, he's going to get four chairs, you know, he's just got that voice, but yeah. certain coaches hear certain things. And, and I think certain coaches won't turn, because they automatically assume maybe you're going to pick somebody else. So why turn? You, you see what I'm saying? Oh no! I mean, it makes total uh, sense that Hudson's yeah, going to go yeah. for the R&B. That uh, you know that Adam's going to take somebody that's got the real contemporary pop, hot AC sound, and yeah. uh, you know Kelly and Blake will duke it out over the real kind of rustic sounding voices, and that's super cool. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, with respect to Kelly and Blake, I you know you surprised everybody. You went Kelly. Um, Talk to me about your inspiration I there. I saw you looking off stage a couple different times, and I think I could tell from the production of the show why you went Team Kelly. But tell me that little story. You know, I'm I'm a big Blake Shelton fan, and, and uh, I, I'd had it in my mind that I'd probably go Blake. And um, you know, there's several reasons uh, that I just chose Kelly because where I'm such a belter at sometimes, you know, and you know, musicians and songwriters, we live with doubt. But we had to put on an air of confidence. You understand what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. And I just figured maybe Kelly could bring something vocally out of me that maybe I didn't think I could do. And and, and I will tell you that she does. Now, one of the first coolest things I learned about Mikhail Buck during this interview is that much like the saying in country music goes, this isn't his first rodeo. Getting to perform alongside artists like Kelly Clarkson and Blake Shelton, this won't be the first time he's seen the big stage. As I already do that, you know, I've opened for Aldi and I've opened for Red Eldridge. I've opened for Cadillac three, uh, three or four, uh, two or three times. John Party, I've been up. I've opened up uh, several shows for him. I've done three shows with Kane Brown. Oh, cool! Um, you know, and it's all on my own hustle. I don't have. A, I've never had a manager. I've never had a, a record label. I work with smaller booking agencies and stuff like that. But we just get out there and hustle, and make names for ourselves, and that's the artists I've always looked up to are, are the ones that that make careers, not necessarily with radio help like the Texas artists, the Randy Rogers bands, uh, uh, you know, Pat Green, Robert O'Keefe, the, the, that red dirt scene of, of musicians like Cody Jenks. And uh, there's there's artists out there that, that don't get a whole lot of radio love, but they have successful careers and are selling out stadiums and bars. And- yeah, man. Yeah, man. And, and, and I say, you know, with Stapleton of a couple years back, opening that door, you know, you guys are cut from the same cloth that like a Chris Ledoux would have been back in the day. And uh, it's it, it just, you know, great to see that. I'm a former, I mean, not former, I'm a I'm a practicing redneck, and I, I got my radio start yeah. back in South Dakota. So I remember oh, yeah. going to really small bars and seeing guys at the state fair circuit and at the Bull Riders only uh, events, and it was really cool to see that kind of country represented in you. It was also really cool as a veteran to see what's represented in you. Tell me about your service. Tell me about where you got started. I joined the reserves of... Uh... I was working the coal boats, West Virginia. Um, out of high school, I went and got a job working the uh, the barges, hauling coal out down the Canal River and Ohio River. 
And I, I was about to join the Marine Corps right out of high school, but I had promising football offers and stuff. I'm a bigger guy. I'm like 6'1", 240. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was a pretty, pretty decent little ball player in school. Um, but nothing really panned out as far as that. My grades weren't the best and yeah, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I was like, well, maybe I'll just I'll get some college money and I'll walk on it. Marshall, I always wanted to serve. So I was like, I'll just do the reserves and I'll go to school. Um, well, just it. You know, one thing led to another that pan out. I ended up moving to North Carolina working. I was still in the reserves. I was a, a 6'3 Sierra. I was a heavy wheel mechanic. And uh, I was trying to go active the whole time, actually. I figured my college wasn't going to happen, so I put in to go active. And I think there's, like, a waiting period you have to be in so long. Or, you know, reserve units and stuff, they have to have their numbers where they are to get, you know, to keep their numbers up. It's all politics, you know. Um, so uh, when the towers got hit, of course, everybody pretty much got mobilized to somewhere to be support or be whatever. So everybody got called in. And uh, I think about a year later, I got a call. I was being transferred to the 458th Combat Engineer Battalion, and it was out of uh, Pennsylvania. And uh, in the Army's history, I don't think they've had, like I said, my memory's a little fuzzy, but the Army didn't have full battalions of combat engineers. Um, all of them were reserves, I believe. Hmm. So they had to bring up, you know, because you're, you're in Iraq and Afghanistan, you're, you're fighting, you're fighting bombs. You know, you're, you have, you know, your routes. It's real warfare. Um, so uh, I got attached with that, and uh, they had the, what they call Operation Ironfall, and uh, we went around and uh, swept the streets for bombs. Um, you know, I did both. I was gunner and worked on trucks and did everything out there, you know, the, the big uh, Buffalo system was doing, I think, first or second people to use it, you kind of wrote the manual on how to do it. Oh, wow. Uh, four, uh, four up armored Humvees, four uh, 11, 14 Humvees, and the Buffalo. They had two other vehicles that were kind of inadequate that, that, that they were designed to mark minefields. One was called the Meerkat, and I cannot remember the other one's name, but we, we used them a bit at the beginning, but it was just, they, they didn't really, they weren't designed for that job, so we stuck with just the Buffalo and the uh, and the Up Armored, and we cruised around looking for, you know, for IEDs. Yeah, and, man. Uh, at first, at first when we got there, man, we'd blow them up any way we could, uh, and then once, you know, found out what they were doing, because it was all new to everybody, you know, it was, it was a new kind of warfare you were fighting, you know. Um so then EOD got big on the scene, and I think the Army started pushing to get people to be a EOD. And I remember sitting around uh, to be cars or something that have explosives in them. They're here, there. We'd find one, and we'd have to sit for hours to wait on EOD to come blow it um, because they were such in demand, you know. And uh, and it's just like anything else. When you're creeping around Baghdad at, at 10 miles an hour looking for bombs, and you're kind of destroying their their way of getting at you then you become a kind of a target so it was uh it was a little iffy at some points you know <laughs> oh yeah yeah man and in fact my colleagues i got yeah. a colleague here there was a tanker i got another one that's 101st um you know the yeah. stories they share i mean it's just a, that's what's cool about vet story this podcast and that's what's cool about being a vet yeah. is you know we get to you know shoot the shit with each other about those experiences and i gotta yeah. say this there was like moments of absolute boredom between these moments of terror but when you guys found an ied did you ever like find an old car or something and put it over top of it or like like see what you could blow up with it because my tanker buddy told me some stories about like when they'd recognize well, where something was they would find something to blow 
up. And it was kind of like a, well, a weird sort of Fourth of July kind of thing over there. They, you know, I don't know what I should say or what I can't say or, or whatever, but I, I do know, like, before EOD, you know, got there, you know, it wasn't, it, you know what I'm saying, you're, it's a big country, and EOD might be up in Fallujah while you're down in uh, Sauter City or something, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, so you, you had to find ways, uh, nifty little ways to blow these things yourselves, and, uh, and there's some guys that I was with that took some dangerous risks to blow these things, and uh, and it, it, sh- it was short-lived. They're like, no, we're not doing this anymore. Right. Um, but, right. yeah, you, you know what I mean? And the, uh, uh, but mainly, you know, I was proud to be with that unit because we saved so many lives, uh, you know. Oh, hell yeah, yeah. Uh, those, those IDs weren't no joke. So no matter what I believed in the war or, or the politics going on behind it, I just believed in the mission at hand just to, that, you know, because – there's so many in Iraq. There's not a lot of front line. You know what I mean? There is to like your Fallujahs and your strongholds and stuff, but but around other places, man, it's just real warfare and, and fighting IDs. So people, you know, fuelers and stuff are high targets for those guys. You know, let's blow up the fuel tanks. So these, these are reservists. These are national guards. These are these are these are uh, men and women. You know, that that aren't necessarily combat arms that are out there driving these dangerous routes. And oh get yeah, to hell, you, you know, and uh, it was baptism by fire know. for you guys because you were the nine yeah, eleven side yeah. too. I mean, it immediately exactly, activated after nine yeah. eleven. Y'all been just sitting around as reservists, you know, drinking beer and going in for you know some fun and squeezing and, some rounds downrange once a month with your buddies. And especially, especially you know, because when you when you get over there, you're not necessarily doing the job that you're trying to do. You're a soldier first, right? And, you know, uh, you know, yeah, guys, you know, on. You know, all hands on deck. You know, you might have a guy that's a TAMS clerk, but he's a 50 gunner. You know what I mean? So he has to go out on this, on this convoy, right. and and like I said, it's trial by fire. And it's I don't think a lot of people realize that when they when they think about this kind of warfare of, of how much like the reserve side and the national guard side gave in this in this war and the steel giving. You know, um, and you know I've never claimed to be uh, anything special. I'm not a hero or anything like that. Um, you know, hats off to especially Marine Corps because they pulled us out of the fire a couple times out there. You know, M1 Abrams rolled up right at the right right moment, and uh, I love those guys. You know, um, something about the sound but, of that tank coming around the corner just makes you feel good. You know, I mean, you can yeah, see one you know, today uh, and still just get a little bit, you know, uh, just get a little bit pumped up when you hear that. I yeah, I can tell you definitely. You know, the Marines and the Air Force and the Navy. Once you get over here, that you know, there's a, there's that competition between everybody, but everybody loves everybody over there because you, you know we always got something one another needs. You know, we're clearing routes for the Marines to go to Fallujah. We're, we're clearing routes for you know for just your basic fueling or your basic supply convoys. We're, we're clearing routes for everybody, so we were real, real proud and respected over there. You know, it was a dangerous ass job, and we we were good at it. After a while, you get good at it. You get the sixth sense of where everything, how you would hide it, how they would hide it. Yeah. And we found a lot of bombs. We found we found and disarmed a lot of bombs and saved a lot of lives. So it's something, something, you know, you know, I, I, when I first went over, I was like, man, I ain't going to see nothing. I'm just this guy, you know. And, man, like third third day in, you realize, hey, this is not no joke, you know. Mm. <laughs> this, is, this, is, this is a little crazy. Yeah, safety always well, you, off. You, always off. Yeah, <laughs> that's all. I mean, I, I spent most of my time saw gunning on top of eleven fourteen, you know, Humvee, and then I was also operating the crane arm in the Buffalo too because I had some you know crane experience, right. uh, you know, digging for these things. And man, that Buffalo took a beat, and we we got blowed up in that several times. But you know, 
it is designed to take it. Um, I do believe it's designed to take, he could take like two stack 155 round anti-tank rounds from the bottom and not hurt anybody in this. They didn't blow the axles out of it. You know, we've got pictures of the ball bearing bombs that they put on guardrails that just blew the axle completely shot that thing. You know, it, it took a beat. And, uh, <laughs> and I love how casual was, you are yeah. about like, yeah, we oh, got blown yeah. up a couple times. I mean, that's just, uh, Oh that's, yeah. I mean, that... you know, you know, my unit was, my unit was really lucky for, we, we've lost, you know, several to injuries, bad injuries, but we only had one casualty. Um, his name Amen. is Thomas Coffin from South Carolina. Um, and he died in an RPG attack. Uh, on, on a Humvee that I usually gun on, but we just took turns. Like I said, we, you know, I went out with all the platoons and stuff like that, and everybody took turns gunning, and everybody took turns doing different jobs. We were just one big team, and uh, we were, yeah, we were first cab. We were attached with the first cab, sure, and uh, we we wore the first cab patch. Um, but it, you know, we were we were truly blessed, you know, to to be out there doing that day after day after day for you know. 365 days or whatever, however long we had to stay over there and, and, and only lose one person. Of course, I, I, didn't, I didn't want to lose him or nobody did, but, you know, just trial by fire led to being some of the most badass bomb hunters you could think of. You know what I mean? It mm-hmm. really did. I'm really proud of those guys, man. It's, these guys were awesome dudes. Yeah, and, so, I, and, and, and I think the know. nation feels the same way about everything, which is why I'm glad to see you guys receive what you received when you come back and why the, we continually honor, remember, and, you know, my brothers get what they deserve after being over there in the sandbox. And talk to me a little bit about the downtime. I understand in addition to being heavily armed, you also were packing a guitar. I took, uh, I had a Seagull guitar. I still have it. And, right. Uh, man, I wore a hole through that thing. It's got, I mean, it almost looks like Trigger from, uh, from, Willie Nelson guitar, you know, and that's just my way, man. I've always played, and I'm, I'm a musician, man, you know. And and it took years for me to realize, hey, this is probably what I should be doing. Uh, uh, I'm a well, I wouldn't say a musician. I'm a singer songwriter. I use my guitar as a tool to write songs, and I came up with a bunch of them over there, you know. Some of them weren't any good, but it, but it definitely was time for me to hone my craft and become a good songwriter. And and, and, and now every time if I go to Nashville, if I play. You know, my album, uh, my live album, done pretty well for us, and we're, we're recording a brand new EP now of songs that I've written. And I'm also going to do a, uh, it's an acoustic folk, folky type singer-songwriter album that I'm going to release about the same time okay. as the full EP, full band EP. And it's got, I wrote a song uh, called uh, Bullets and a Cross, and it, it touches on PTSD. I, I like writing songs about that place without being cheesy, proud to be an American type songwriting not knocking those songwriter guys no but i'm so glad to hear you say that because there is a level of schmaltz there is a level of kind of cheese when people go hey write me a combat song write me a war song and it it doesn't work like that i appreciate those songs with toby keith and uh, we just did a show with jared neiman he he has just recently wrote a a, a killer one you know what i mean yeah and i I talked on his bus for a while and uh, actually uh he listened to a new song i wrote uh, Probably one of my favorites so far. It's called the Irish Road. It's about route Irish and Iraq. Oh, the famed route like, Irish. Yeah, man, that thing is legendary. Irish, yeah. Oh, the, one and, of the uh, roughest, man, the the most dangerous road in the world. At a, t- I mean, for oh, at least man. two years. Yeah, it was, uh, and it was only seven and a half miles long. You know, but like I didn't realize how bad it was until we constantly had to sweep that thing, and it didn't matter. They they would find ways. They were sneaky, <laughs> you know. They were sneaky good, and you, 
honestly, I don't remember a lot of a lot of uh, scuffles as far as firefights there, um, as much as other places. But I remember, I remember just bomb after bomb and and, and like a lot of RPG shots. I do remember those, but it's small, small attacks. You know what I mean? Mm. But the but they had sneaky ways of you know that's to the green zone. That's where all your generals are traveling. That's where all you know. From Biop to the airport to the green zone. That's that was just a it was a high route. Yeah. Of, they do know there's high priority targets. There's a lot of generals, a lot of you know, a lot of stars, a lot of brass traveling that route. And I think, in my mind, that's probably why they did it. You know what uh, I mean? Oh, that's, most that's, certainly. You know what blows my mind yeah. after interviewing a bunch of warfighters that have been involved with that road, which I'll get to in just one second if I can. Yeah. Um, why they didn't build the damn green zone like in and around the airfield? Like you fly into it and then you just stay there. Instead, they made the green zone like seven miles down this highway from where the planes come in, and it left this open artery where them bastards can just go out there at night and bury shit. And the next thing you know, people are getting blown up. I'm like, why didn't you just build the base around the airport? I always wondered the same thing because Bob was so huge. Why didn't you just take one of Houday and Kusay's mansions that was over there on, on Victory, uh, Iraq, and Bob? Because yeah. it was all one big post, basically. And why, I, I always wanted to kind of the same thing, but like I said, I, I didn't make any decisions, man. I never made a past specialist uh, for, for a few reasons. But, uh, <laughs> but, uh, oh, you're like me then. Uh, you're the Command Master yeah. E4. That's what I used to call myself when I was in. Yeah, man. Yeah, I, uh, I, uh, it's an E4 with a star. Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was promotable by the time I left. I was promotable when we got there. Uh, you know, things happen and uh, that that are not of your fault that that get get thrown down on you and stuff like that. Yeah. I was uh, I was good at I was a good soldier. I followed orders and stuff like that. But I, you know, it, you know how the military is. Um, I love I love the army, but one of the, I also hated some of the stuff too um, about how stuff worked. You know. Um, and uh, I always would, like if I did talk to somebody that was outranking me, and they were giving me shit. I always like you know remember that rank comes with responsibility, not privilege. And uh, that was one of the things I hated about the military is like people that got rank thought they got privilege over people that didn't. And, and it, I, I would speak up, you know what I mean, uh, about little <laughs> little bullshit like that that went on. And, 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 and you know I try not to let it bug me, but after a while it starts getting to you know. Hey, yeah, uh, man. Well, I mean, look, I mean, it's military experience is something that another vet totally understands. And and, and, I'm, and I'm glad yeah. to hear you say that, brother, because I was right there with you. I was on a ship and I couldn't get off. And frankly, sometimes I wish I could have. Uh, let me ask you uh, two last quick questions. Uh, OK, uh, Rude Irish uh, begs a question. I interviewed a, a really cool guy, a British paratrooper guy that founded this place called the Baghdad Country Club. And it was the only place inside the green zone where you could get a drink. Yeah, the Brits and Australians could drink. We weren't allowed to. Oh, so you never went we to the Baghdad did. Country Club? No, we didn't. I mean, we, we weren't allowed to touch a drop of alcohol over there. Wow. Um, uh, not saying we didn't, because we did. You know, there's ways to get it. You <laughs> know what I mean? Uh, there's, uh, you know, KBR workers will do anything for a new pair of boots, and they can go to duty free and stuff like that. I mean, I'll admit that we had liquor sent to us and stuff like that, but we had to keep them under wraps. You know, yeah. and, I, and it's funny that you mention that because I think the high rate of PTSD people coming home is because we get so wound up and, and not enough time to kind of relax and, and tell tell people that they're human. And there are so many just by the book political BF, politically correct BF, or oh, we're not going to do this, we're not going to do this. But you know, then then people start forgetting they're human. But at least we're not treated like we're humans. You know, you need to let your guys have a drink every once in a while. You need to rotate them back to the world so they go chase some women every once in a while. You need, you know, 
back to the times of William Wallace. You know, William Wallace would always rotate his men to the back line so they could dance, have sex, drink, party, and remember what the hell they were fighting for. Yeah. You take that away from soldiers, they become dehumanized and they become, you know, you forget and you get so wound up when you come home, you don't know how to handle it. I think that's a big problem that, that's not being addressed. That's just my opinion, but I've talked to several, you know, psychiatrists because I always, you know, when we go to the VA and we talk to people and stuff like that, and I've talked to uh, several that, you know, I've, I've, I've brought that up to, and they're like, and that's a good point. You know, I got to say, as a sailor, I couldn't agree more with you because there were times like we'd be out to sea for 150, 60 days, but when we'd finally pull in, you know, you got a dose of that before you came back home. And you look even yeah. all the way back to colonial era, and you, like you said, yeah, William Wallace, go back to our colonial roots. George Washington, yeah. one of the first acts of business he did when the Continental Congress was formed was pay a bar tab that he owed as General George Washington, where they rang up one hell of a yeah. bar tab. And, and it's not to say that alcohol is the means, but it's just the downtime. It's, it's letting guys feel human again. And what's cool is through singer-songwriters, we can put music with those memories. And part of what you brought your first night on The Voice for that blind audition was the powerful story of your combat brother and um, the things you did together. Talk to me about that. Charles Call, we were from the same area. We, we found out that we knew each other or had met before. He was older than I was. Um, so we're in Kuwait getting ready to convoy up to Baghdad. And, um, he comes over, hears me talk, he's like, where are you from? And I told him, you know, I live in North Carolina, but I'm from Mason County, West Virginia. He's like, me too, I went to Point Pleasant High School. He said, are you related to so-and-so buck or so-and-so? I said, yeah, all my cousins, I graduated with them. You know, he was active duty, and uh, he got transferred to this unit too. I think he got out for a while and then joined back up, got transferred to the unit. Anyway, from the same area, you know, our, our, my, my family farms right up the road from where he grew up. And like I said, he was just always a little older than I was. Damn. And, uh, Small world. And just, yeah, small world, and man, he was kind of like an older brother to me. Look, he was in Charlie Company, I was an Alpha. Uh, but, you know, if I'd be late on a mission or something, he'd always come check on me, make sure I got back all right. And, man, he just, he was, a, he loved writing songs, loved country music, and, and, and he, he had a guitar too, so he's one of the guys I picked around with. And ended up being just, just brothers, you know what I mean? Uh, just, just tight. You know, you know how it is. You know, oh, you yeah. Get that one, one or two people that just, you're just tight with. And, Man, we hung out a little while when we got home, and uh, everything was going fine. I think he got a job at the mines. He used his uh, his military experience. He was a combat engineer as well. And, uh, you know, he got a job doing explosive for the mines, and he was he was doing good, man. And nobody saw any signs of it. And I think it was right after the Steelers won the Super Bowl, and I want to say '05, '06. Yeah. Um, I was Steelers fan, so I remember the Super Bowl. I can't remember the date that he did it. He just right he on. ended it, man. He, he he put a pistol in his mouth and, and, and ended it, and nobody saw it come. I think now when we look back, we saw, we see maybe some signs. He put his four wheeler up for sale. He he done like stuff that he enjoyed. He was selling off, but mm -hmm. they just thought you know maybe he's getting grit up because he he was talking about moving. And um, we didn't see it, man. He was happy go lucky. He was just a good guy, always smiling, and nobody saw it coming. So I did, you know, I definitely, he was a huge fan of me. He's like, dude, once we get home, man, you need to go to Nashville. You need to do this. You need to put out. He was just so supportive of me. And I, and you can make everything about you as far as, you know, TV opportunity. I could have made it, well as me, well as me, well as me. And I didn't want to do that because, like I said, I'm no hero. I'm, right. I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm one of the lucky ones. I've got music and I've got a family and I've got 
stuff. Not saying that, you know, I didn't hit my hard points, but I think everybody does when you come home. But I had I had an outlet. You know, I get a stage rush. I get, you know, some guys skydive stuff when I rode, ride motorcycles. But I get to go on stage. I get to, to, to do it, concentrate on something other than it, roll with the good stuff instead of the bad. And uh, I just wanted to bring the light because of it's, you know, 22 a day. Uh, it's an epidemic. Um, and like I said, it just kind of, upsets me that so many people concentrate on both sides of the fence and i'm not getting political at all but on both sides of the fence nobody gives a shit all these american people with all this pride all he's sitting for a flag he's on it why aren't you posting about 22 soldiers a day if you give a shit why aren't you posting about why aren't you making donations why aren't you getting involved with 22 soldiers a day if you care so much about our our soldiers being offended by somebody kneeling or somebody you know what i mean yeah yeah yeah, and go be friends and, and with one of them. That's what I'm finding because although my service yeah. was in the Navy and I was a fleet guy and I didn't really see the sandbox like you all did, yeah. I found that just my, you know, my brotherhood with you guys, the fact I can become friends as veterans and we can just you know golf together or I can make friends and call a guy. I have new friends yeah. now that are veterans that I didn't know 10 years ago. But I call exactly. them because I just like hanging out with them. I want to get a beer with them. I yeah. want to find out about how their day was. I want to just kind of reconnect and shoot the ship because that is, I think, that mission-oriented experience that we all crave when we come back and that disappears when you go back into your life. You do. And, I, and I'm in a band, and, and, and I love my bandmates to, to, to death. We're, all, we're like brothers. But it's still not the same. It's still not the same as like, uh, you know, the other day, uh, my medic actually came to the Outer Banks and I hadn't seen him in 13 years. And, you know, just picked up right where we left off. People don't understand that bond. There's no there's no frat boys. There's no football teams. There's no nothing that creates that bond like, like brothers that have served together. There's just nothing that creates it. And, and you miss that. And um, like, I'm, you know, I'm telling people, just like call your battle buddies. I mean, it's, life gets in the way sometimes. And it's a bittersweet thing, too, because when you see guys, you, you bring up a lot of stuff you don't want to remember, maybe. But if you just get together, like when me and, uh, you know, me and my buddy got together, we spoke about the war very, very little. We just talked about the funny things that happened, like when we all went, got drunk, or we all went, we, we talked about the good yeah. times. Yeah, yeah, And it was, it was, it was the best day I've had in a while, you know. And I, and I, and I, you know, it didn't show it on camera, but I, they asked me what I would say to people you're thinking about hurting themselves. So I was like, call your battle buddies, man. Take time to go see them. Oh, I don't have money. I don't have, just take time. You can be late on a bill. Just take time for your health to go see somebody. Go, go talk to somebody. Go hang out with your buddy. Take good fishing or something. You know, right. it, it can be stopped. And if, if America gave a shit about like stuff like they should, then this would be a problem. You know, um, it's, it's hard to understand. You go talk to these psychiatrists at the VA and stuff like that. Most of them have never served. The VA does have a good program with the, uh, the uh, it's called uh, uh, peer support. And, you know, um, and that's, I think that's a good thing a little bit. I think that they should maybe hire a few more, like, you know, Army guys are going to connect with Army guys or, or certain MOSs are going to search, you know, understandable oh, yeah. stuff like that. You know, I, and, I, and I even told my guy this, you know, uh, he was a Navy man himself. and He, he served in, in much respect, but he still doesn't have – I don't know what he's went through. I've never, I couldn't be on a damn boat. I'm claustrophobic as shit. So there's no way I can be out there a hundred days. You know what I mean? And, and, and stuck in one place. So in, in itself, that would give me PTSD. You know, I think the VA should, should hire a few more of these guys of us to, to just, you know, to go in and, 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 and it doesn't have to be a, a, a bragging contest about war. You just talk about anything other than war. Oh, yeah. And I, 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 
I'll end it with this and say, and like I've got buddies we on my my group chat or whatever. You know, they're talking about their hard times, and we we connect and talk. But I see most of them still posting stuff about Iraq. Most of them still posting stuff, or they wear clothes like the, the nine line clothes, not putting down nine line. God bless them, or anything like that. These these grunt style. Oh yeah. Shirts and they're all about that. I'm like, you know, if you just diss that shit and get on with your life and find something else that you are, and be proud of that, it'll help you. Just get, just leave it in the past. It's over with. You know what I mean? It's still you're still a warrior. You're still gonna be a warrior to the day you die. But just just find something else, man. Hey, say I'm a fisherman now. I'm a, I'm a truck driver now. Hey, man, I'm a coal miner now. This is my life. This is what I do. To this is this is me now. You have to leave that 23, 24 year old kid or 18 year old kid. You have to leave him in the past. That's what he what's what you did do. It's not what you do anymore. That you know. Yeah. Um, and and you're still a badass. You're still you still you know you still did what you did. You don't have much respect. And if the time comes when we need to do it again, we all we all know we'll all do it again. Not a problem. But you know you got to move on. You got to find something that you that you can identify yourself as as you, you're always a veteran. If you understand, you know so find something that you are now, not Amen. that you were. And I think you can get. I think you can get past it. Mm, I I absolutely love hearing that. That's the first I've heard of a veteran say that, and that's honestly some of the most powerful stuff I have heard. And it kind of just I I I think of when you just were saying that how I embrace not being a badass sailor anymore, but I'm a badass yeah. dad, and I'm good at being yeah. a dad. Man, I get on the ground, yeah. I wrestle, I push that swing, I throw <laughs> that ball. I, I, yeah. You know, I'm a dad ass. I'm not a badass. Yeah. And and yeah. it's been the most enjoyable title I've had. And that right there is some of the most powerful advice I've heard. So uh, it's the MikelBuckBand.com. I see you got some tour dates coming up, and I see you're going to be. Uh, we do. We're, if you're near the Maryland West Virginia line, man, I'm coming to see you, dude. We we got. Uh, we got. Uh, we're in. I, uh, we're, I, oh, absolutely, man. There's clubs. There's clubs calling me left and right, and we're trying to get it set up where we can get the most momentum off this. And uh, you know, uh, and I, I, I'm definitely going to. You know, we we play all over the place. So we were in Georgia, South Carolina, North Carolina, just the coast. We've been to Florida. We go to West Virginia, Ohio. Um, but we're going to branch out. I want to hit Maryland. I want to hit Virginia on the D.C. side a little bit more. We, you know, we played Alexandria several times. Um, okay, cool. But now that this is out there and there's so many fans and stuff like that, I, I'm going to definitely branch out the best I can. And, uh, you know, while I record an album, and, you know, I did this, the voice, you know, there's so many, there's so many talented people on there. You know, so many talented people. I took the opportunity just to get one leg up, just to get people hearing me, just to get people to know I'm out there. And then I'm going to let my music speak for the rest of it. That way I can make, you know, there's going to be fans from just the TV show, but I want to make fans from myself, my music, and, uh, you know, and, and bring light to a cause. You know, if I, I always said if I can get on a platform where I can speak at the 22 a day, I was going to do it. And I, I'm most proud of that. I really am because, like I said earlier, you can turn that show into about you and your hard struggle and stuff like that, but mine's not about my struggle. I got a good life. You know, I get to play damn music for a living. You know, I get to travel on the road. Most guys stuck nine to five. I've been lucky the past four or five years. I ain't had to work a day job. You know what I mean? It's still, <laughs> you know, I ain't got a lot of money, and I, I miss a lot of hunting trips and fishing trips with my buddies and my family, but it's just something I'm driven to do, and I'm just, just knuckling down and doing them. Oh, and, uh, 
So we're, uh, but yeah, we're in actually, we're in West Virginia on the 27th, man, up in Pipestown, which is across Virginia, but man, you're more than welcome to come, and if I shoot up towards D.C. way, which I've been contacted a bunch, but we'll definitely get together, man, that's be awesome. Well, we're going to bring you aboard. This is not the last we've talked because uh, as I'll wrap this up and say, Charlie Mason of TV Line said Mikhail Buck sang with enough ache that any given note could re-break a heart that was already in pieces, bound for the final four, guaranteed. I look forward to seeing you and your progress on NBC's The Voice. And that airs, uh, was it Tuesday, Wednesday night? So, uh, you know, keep yeah, kicking. Monday, Monday and Tuesday. Monday's Monday Tuesday. and Tuesday nights yeah. on NBC. Yeah. Keep kicking ass, mm-hmm. brother. And uh, hey, let's chat again after the next round. Absolutely, man. Thank you so much. You got it, brother. Safe travels. All right. All right. Later, brother. And like the lights coming on over a beer-soaked bar and a honky-tonk in a small little town, this is your last call. But if you got a story to share, we want to hear from you. You can email me, phil, at connectingvets.com. Thank you for hanging out, and we'll talk to you again. From the battlefield to the bar stool on Vet Story. All-star closer, Kenley Jansen, we have a question. What's the best podcast of all time? Baseball isn't boring, baby. I'm Rob Bradford, and every single day I'm sitting down with the biggest names to show you this great game is the greatest game. It's my podcast. It's my passion. It's a cause I started more than two years ago and is now the most prolific national daily baseball pod. There is another fact, so jump aboard the B.I.B. Express. Follow and listen to Baseball Isn't Boring, presented by Wasabi Hot Cloud Storage on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.